Welcome back, everyone. Christy here. You're listening to the Alternative Podcast. A couple of things I want to get into. First, I just have to say thank you. Thank you for listening. I am blown away by all of the folks tuning in, not just all over this country, but all over the world. And I am just, oh, I like couldn't be more delighted, to be honest, that the conversations that we're having on this show are resonating with you all. Please don't hesitate to reach out. You can connect with me on the underscore alternative podcast on Instagram. If there is a topic that you're interested in or a guest that you think would be a great fit for the show, something you want to learn more about, let me know. I want to give you what you want. So reach out. Don't hesitate. My door is open. And second, today on the show, we have the lovely Christina Manning from Calm Minds Parent Coaching. She teaches a style of parenting called peaceful parenting. Specifically, she helps parents to stop yelling at their kids so that they can have more peaceful relationships and more peaceful homes. Who doesn't want that? So uh, she's fabulous. You're going to get so much out of this conversation, whether you have kids or not, because really at the heart of all of it, it begins with that relationship that we have with ourselves. And she goes more into depth with all of that later in the episode. Make sure that you stay tuned for the end too, because Christina has been kind enough to offer all of our listeners some freebies. I'll go more into detail with all of that at the end. Those things will be linked in the notes as well. And that's it from me. Enjoy the show, everyone. We're here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome. How are you, Christina? I'm doing great. How are you, Christy? I'm good. I'm really well. Thank you. I am very excited to have you with us today uh, because I was getting so many parents reaching out with questions for you. So I have a bunch of notes and I feel like you're going to help a lot of people out today. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. So tell us all the name of your business. Yes, Calm Minds Parent Coaching. Okay, great. And what is the mission? So my mission is really to help parents find alternative alternatives to yelling and punishments because they really don't work, maybe in the short term, but not in the long term. Okay. Okay. That's great. I know that that's something that a lot of people want to get a better handle on learning how to self-regulate so that not only they can feel better, but they can also just be more attentive and attuned to what's going on with their kids. So I definitely have a bunch of questions for you about that. But first, I just want to get into your journey because I know that you didn't start out as a coach. You started out in education. Can you tell me what initially attracted you to the field? Absolutely. So as generic as this sounds, I love working with kids. I was a nanny in high school and in college. And so that kind of drew me to the field. I was an elementary teacher for a while. I've taught third grade and I actually taught in South Korea for a year and I taught English to little kindergarten Korean students. So that was really a great experience. And then I came back and taught third grade for a long time once again. And I really, really valued the 
social emotional piece of children. I really, you know, I look at the whole child and that really prompted me to want to go back to school, get my master's degree in school counseling. So I was a school counselor for a few years. And yeah, ever since the pandemic, I, I realized that parents really need support. And that kind of prompted me into want to become a parent coach. Beautiful. And I just love, I have to comment on just this this idea that you have of looking at the child in a holistic view and that social emotional learning piece, which is so important. And I feel like public schools are trying to catch up, but there is more work to do. And so I'm so glad that you're out here doing the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a gap. I do see an effort, like you said, schools really trying to, you know, intertwine social emotional learning into the school day, but it shouldn't be anything extra. It should really just be like how you are with the kids and it should be, you know, what you're doing all day long, how you're interacting. And it's just super, super important because without, you know, knowing how to manage your emotions or knowing how to cooperate or work with kids, other children, then, you know, you're not going to be able to do the math problem if you can't work in a group, you know, you're not going to be able to do any type of cooperative, you know, learning without social skills. So it's really important. What is the primary thing that you want parents to know about communicating effectively with their children? Well, it's 100% the parent having that level of self-awareness and being able to heal their own you know, wounds, understand what their triggers are, and be able to manage their own emotions. Because, you know, we expect these little people to manage emotions when we can't do it. So it really starts with self-awareness and being able to model how we can manage our emotions in a healthy way uh, in front of our kiddos. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned to me before we hopped on that many parents initially come to you and they want to put their kids in therapy. They think something is wrong with the child. Can you tell me what you said, how you reframe that for the parents you're working with? Absolutely. So we never want to just throw a kid, isolate a kid and throw them into therapy. You know, it always starts with us. So again, like I was saying before, when we heal our own, you know, inner child wounds, then we can show up for our kids. And so really, maybe sometimes it's the parent going to therapy, you know, or the parent working with me, because that's a big part of my program. We start where I meet the parent where they are. And a lot of times parents have a lot of childhood wounds. And, you know, most parents I talk to, myself included, grew up in a home with traditional parenting styles, like with yelling and spanking and you do as I say, and that's the end of it, you know, very authoritative. But with peaceful parenting, it's that level of mutual respect and I treat my child as a human. So yes, it, it really starts with the parent and can't expect kids to do the things that we can't do. So we need to heal ourselves before we can help our children ultimately. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So for these parents that are perhaps just now discovering that they came from an environment with this really authoritarian point of view, 
how do you gently help them to begin to heal that? Because as you said, what happens is they turn into the authoritarian, whether they mean to or not, which is, as the science is showing us more and more, not effective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, it, it all starts with just them being able to just identify, you know, what type of home they grew up in, you know, did they grow up in a home where emotions were, you know, big emotions were allowed to be expressed? Or was it like, oh, you're angry, just go to your room, we aren't going to talk about it. So it starts with that emotion. When I work with parents, sometimes I have them journal in the very beginning of our journey, maybe they aren't aware. So they journal about things that happened in their childhood. And then once we talk about how how their childhood brings, you know, comes into their parenting, then I talked to them about, like you mentioned, Christy, the research that's out now. We didn't have this research 20 and 30 years ago about child brain development and how harmful and ineffective yelling is. And I am not at all hating on or, you know, (laughs) judging any parents uh, for yelling because we're all human. We all yell sometimes. But just, you know, when we know better, we can do better. And that research now shows us that yelling is not the greatest method. Is there any data that you find particularly compelling on this? Absolutely. So the latest data on child brain development is that a human, I shouldn't just say a child, but a human's brain is not fully developed until close to 28. Various studies that say between 26 and 30. So it's about 28. So the reason why that's so relevant is because, not to get too scientific, but we think about the brain And I look at the brain in three different parts. We have the primitive part that is our uh, survival brain that's in our brain stem. And then we have the emotional brain where we start to learn about how to regulate our emotions a little bit and being able to have empathy. And, um, And then our thinking brain is where our prefrontal cortex is. And that's where all the logic and reasoning and learning takes place. And when a child is being yelled at, they cannot access that higher brain their brain literally goes offline. And so if a child complies when a parent yells, it's not because they're learning anything. It's out of fear. They're they're back in their survival brain and all that matters to them at that point is safety. So when I tell parents and educate parents about the research, they're like, oh, and that's like kind of when the light bulb goes off and they're like, okay, I'm yelling at my child and nothing is changing. And if it is, it's not because they respect me or they're learning. It's out of fear. So that's when we start talking about different ways to communicate that are a lot more effective and they don't put a strain on the parent-child relationship, which is critical. I just, I I think it's amazing. And it's also just, it's really moving to me because when parents yell, you you literally cannot reach your child. They cannot hear you. You think that going up in volume is going to get the message through, but it's the worst possible thing you could do. The brain shuts down. I just, I think it's so valuable to get this out there so that more people understand. Yeah, it really, really is. I mean, um, again, no judgment on people that grew up with traditional parenting or brought that into their own parenting. It's just 
now that we have that information, which is relatively new in research, we can apply that to our parenting and build a great relationship with our kiddos. So for the parent that has perhaps been using this tactic and talks to you and sees that this is not effective going forward, I want to change, but where do I begin? How do I start? Well, the first, the very first step is giving yourself some grace, you know, like when we, like I said before, when we know better, we do better. And so it's just, again, that level of self-awareness. And we start by just working on having self-compassion. That's huge. When a, when a parent can have self-compassion, that can ultimately influence the way that they parent because when they feel good, then they're going to do good. We start like, what do you do for yourself? What do you do for self-care? Self-care, self-care, it's a buzzword. No, it's really not. Self-care is not a um, luxury. It's a necessity. And it's actually a parent's responsibility. Of course, I work with parents and, you know, communicate that in a nice, loving way. But just like me, you know, a few years ago, I was not practicing what I preached. I was a school counselor. I was stressed out in the school system. I was everybody's everything. I was stressed out to the max and I was not pouring into my cup at all. And I was completely drained. And so how can we reach a child and how can we support a, support a child when we're not pouring into ourselves? Self-compassion which is really hard because a lot of us like to give, give, give and give ourselves to everyone, but not leave anything for us. And when our tank is empty, then our, we're not going to be able to help fill our child's tank, so to speak. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I also think that this can be a foreign concept and really challenging, especially for the parents that have come from these environments that are very strict and harsh uh, and intense because the lens that a kid grows up with uh, when you're when you're housed in that environment is things are good or bad, right or wrong, black or white. Yep. So yep. what are some gentle strategies, some gentle ways that you can begin to encourage a new way of talking to yourself? Absolutely. Well, um, positive affirmations. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very cliche, but Having parents have that sense of, it's okay if my child is having a meltdown. If this is not an emergency, I'm still a good parent if I need to walk away and take a breath. And again, just knowing you're not alone. Most people, I don't want to say all, but most people grew up in that type of home. Most people and most parents that I talk to. Again, it doesn't mean that our parents were bad, but that's all that they knew. So it's, again, just reminding them of the new um, information that's out now, the research that's out now. If they want to make that change, we talk about, like, what type of parent do you want to be? What do you want to embody, you know, as a parent? And most parents want to have a peaceful home. They really don't want to yell. Nobody really wants to yell. They don't feel good about it. Most parents, we talk about, like, how do you feel after you yell? It's no, again, no judgment, but how does it make you feel? And I can say 100% of the parents that I work with don't feel good about themselves when they yell. They realize, you know, the cause and effect. I yell, yeah, maybe my kid listens because they're scared, but then I've broken the relationship with them. And just really trying to get them to see 
things don't have to be yes and no and black and white, right? Embrace imperfection. If you yell one day, it does not mean that you're the worst parent in the world. That's when you have to really forgive yourself and just know that just being in parent coaching is showing that you have that level of, I want to make a change. Sometimes it's just a simple, let's come up with an affirmation for you, you know, with the parent. What are you really struggling with? And the research shows that if you use an affirmation, silly as people may think it is, it really, really works because what you're doing is you're rewiring your brain. And that's what's really cool about neuroplasticity, which means you can change your brain. If you stick to a habit, just like growing up in a house with yelling, that was a habit. You were just like, that's what you were used to. You can train your brain to be a peaceful person just by the habits that you do, like if you say affirmations every day, like I, I'm not a perfect parent, but I am the perfect parent for my child. I think that's really helpful. Can you give me some examples of strategies for self-care that parents have begun to employ that have been helpful? I am a big mindfulness enthusiasts. I, um, as I had spoke before about when I was a school counselor in the school system and I was really stressed out, I knew the point when I had to leave was because I was not prioritizing my own well-being. And so I learned all about mindfulness. I took two mindfulness courses and a yoga course, got certified, not really because I wanted to teach yoga or mindfulness, but because I wanted to be able to embody it myself. And I saw that it had such a profound impact in my own personal well-being that I really want to share that wealth with parents. So I've seen a lot of parents embody just even mindful breathing, taking a nice deep inhale. Maybe we can do it now. Yes. Yes. Show me. Show me right now. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's settle in. Take a nice deep inhale through the nose and an extra long exhale out through the mouth. Kind of like you're smelling a flower, inhale. When you're blowing out a candle, extra slow, exhale. And it wasn't until I took a class when I was in grad school that I learned some stress management techniques. People always say, just take a deep breath, whatever. And I was kind of one of those people that was like, just be quiet. I'm not going to take a deep breath. (laughs) But then when I... You know, like that's the last thing I want to do. But in reality, it really works. And it's science. Like you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system, which really sends a signal to your brain and it calms you. So I dare anybody listening right now to just try that. Just take a nice deep inhale through the nose and let it all out really extra slow. And I encourage people just sometimes it's just say your child's having a meltdown and you just need to take a little break, go into the room and just breathe. But from a preventative measure too, just you don't have to breathe, you know, as a result of something happening. Try doing it as a preventative measure because again, you're rewiring your brain. So if you are doing this conscious breathing every single day, you're rewiring your brain to be a lot more regulated and calm. Also, I love yoga. And so it's not one size fits all. So 
Some parents I encourage to do some yoga and it doesn't have to be anything crazy, maybe just a few fundamental poses, movement. You know, obviously we know that <laughs> the research shows us that when we move, we really can regulate our you know, nervous system. So movement, yoga, affirmations, whatever fills your cup. And that's what I have a parent that I'm working with right now. And she just goes into a room and she screams into a pillow. And that is how she regulates. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> whatever, whatever works for you, just do it. And if you start doing it for five minutes each day, like every parent I've worked with has seen profound impact on how they feel and how they parent. So those are just a few ideas, but you know, we go more into detail and I tailor my program to whichever parent I'm working with and whatever their needs are. But mindful breathing and movement, just a a light stroll around the block or even around the house <laughs> really does go a long way. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, and sometimes I have to do that, do it in my house because I live on the East Coast where we have some cold weather sometimes. And so, oh, another thing I want to mention is the Calm app. I love the Calm app. You know, I'll do a meditation when I wake up and I'll try to do one during oh, halfway through the day and then I always do one before I go to sleep. So I'm beginning my day with a nice way to regulate and then I, you know, check in with myself in the middle of the day and then at the end of the day. Not always. And if I don't, I don't beat myself up. It's whatever I need in that moment. So taking care of your basic needs, like staying hydrated. Some, <laughs> why is it so hard for us to drink water? I have like a big, like right here, I have my bottle right here. And it's like, my goal is to drink this whole <laughs> thing by five o'clock. Let's see if that happens. But when I, what my point is, when I do do that, I see a huge difference. So just nourishing your body, staying hydrated and doing something that really fills your cup is super, super important. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that it's, it's such a critical component to your health Every bit as much as, you know, eating your vegetables, taking care of your brain. And you can do that in really simple ways, like you said, just by incorporating breathing very consciously throughout the day, drinking water. These are simple things, but I think it's important for parents to really take that message to heart because it's going to enable them to just show up in a more present way for their kids. 100%. And not only are they able to show up, but they're modeling for their kids how important it is to take care of themselves. So, you know, if they see mommy taking a deep breath when she gets frustrated in the supermarket, keeps happening and they mom keeps modeling and modeling, you know, mirror neurons, which essentially just means kids mimic what they see. Kids don't do as we say, they do as we do. So they see mommy or daddy taking these self-care measures, like taking a deep breath or, okay, mommy needs to go take a five-minute walk to cool down. That's amazing because you're modeling the importance of taking care of yourself. Yeah, you're actually, gosh, that's just so gorgeous because you're giving your kids the tools to feel peace inside of themselves and in their relationships in the future when you do that. But if they see that you're taking breaths and you're, you know, moving your body, doing these other healthy ways 
to just take care of yourself. It's so great because it guarantees that your kids are going to move forward in the world in a way that also embodies that same level of peace and self-compassion. Absolutely. And it all starts at home. You know, I wish, and I, like we said earlier, some schools are beginning to implement mindfulness and yoga and different, you know, self-care techniques in the school system, but it's not always guaranteed. Not all schools prioritize that, unfortunately, which I hope does change. But what can we do at home to, you know, get our kids to really understand the importance of taking care of yourself? It's not, people are like, oh, self-care is selfish. Well, no, it's really not. It's actually very, very essential. And it's, it's our responsibility. If we want to embody peaceful parenting, we must put our oxygen mask on first, so to speak. I'm wondering if you can talk to me about the difference between discipline and punishment. Oh, absolutely. So a lot of parents seem to think that they are synonymous and um, they're not at all. You know, discipline comes from the word disciple, which means to teach. So our job as parents is to teach and to guide our children. And we can do that in a very respectful way. We think about punishment, we think more about shame, blame, and suffer. You know, making your kid feeling really, really bad about whatever choice that they made. And we really don't want to do that. That's not the point. That doesn't teach anything. That all it does is instill fear in our kids. And it puts a strain on a relationship. And they really don't respect us when we punish. They might comply, as I mentioned before, just because they're scared. But again, that brain is in the lower brain, into the survival brain. So, And we don't want our kids to live there. We don't want them to be in their survival brain. We want them to be in their higher thinking brain. The research really shows that punishment doesn't work. It, again, it might work in the moment. And that's why parents yell and scream and go to your room and isolate. Um, because they don't know what else to do at that point. But in the long run, connection is just as vital as oxygen. It's really, really important. And you are severing that connection with your child when you scream and yell and punish and isolate them. Um, And another part of this is, you know, some parents will say, well, wait a minute, isn't that me just kind of like, you know, giving in or, you know, being permissive. And it's really not. Because when a permissive parent has no boundaries, they just let their kid just, you know, do whatever they want. And with peaceful parenting, we can still hold loving boundaries and limits and teach and guide at the same time. And then our kids have respect for us. We have respect for our kids. Discipline is uh, certainly, you know, the research is very clear. We really want to have a good relationship with our kids and have that mutual respect. Then we should use discipline and, and not punishment. Can you give me an example of what discipline looks like? A big part of it is setting clear expectations before something happens, you know? So say we're going to a family party and your son seems, sometimes he just likes to play with his cousins and they can get a little rowdy. And discipline would be, 
setting expectations in the beginning and saying, hey, Johnny, I know you get really excited when you get to see your cousin, and today we are going to go see him. And so here's what the rules are. We're going to keep our hands to ourselves. And again, with rules, on a side note, you want rules are less is more. So you don't want to give like, here are the rules. You have 18,000 rules when you go play with your cousin. No, 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 no. Just give them one or two of the non-negotiables. We keep our hands to ourselves and we use respectful, kind language, right? So you are laying out the, the rules or the boundaries beforehand, setting clear expectations before they go to the party, right? And then um, you're reminding them and reminding them and reminding them, giving them lots of reminders so that they, you're setting them up for success. We don't want our kids to fail. Nobody really wants their kids to fail, right? So we set them up for success by laying out the expectations. And nine times out of 10, kids might need like a reminder or two, but they're going to remember what you said and they're going to appreciate that you gave them that expectation ahead of time and they'll comply. And so, and if they don't, if they don't, you know, we use this language. I always use this language with, with parents. If you choose to make the choice of not keeping your hands to yourself, then this will be the consequence, right? If you choose not to keep your hands to yourself, then this will be the consequence and whatever. And a consequence should always be relatable and age appropriate, right? So say our kid is, you know, at the birthday party and they break something or, you know, make a mess, let's say. The consequence would be to clean it up, right, or to fix it. It wouldn't be, you broke something, you're grounded for a month. (laughs) Because one, that's not relatable. It's not age appropriate. And, you know, that goes back into punishment because we're isolating and shaming. And so, yeah, it's really just about teaching and guiding and setting those clear expectations up front is discipline. Okay. I think that is so, so helpful. I, yeah, I appreciate it. I'm also just thinking now, is there ever a time that it is appropriate to send your child to their room alone? What message does that send? That is a really great question. So I truly believe that it's not the greatest thing in the world to isolate our children. I think sometimes it's okay to take a break, but I don't think that it needs to be something where it's like, go to your room. I don't want to see your face because that kind of is shameful. You don't want them to feel shame. You want them to learn, right? So maybe it's, and I tell a lot of parents, I really encourage parents to have like a calm down corner in their home. Oh, that's such a great name. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in a calm down corner, it's, it's not a punishment. It's really just to go calm down. Let's regulate our emotions. Some things you might find in a calm corner might be like some breathing cards. You might have like fidgets or things for them to squeeze so that they can regulate themselves. You might have pictures of different emotions so that they can identify the emotion, right? We name it to tame it. A lot of children, you know, if they can say, okay, that's me, I'm mad or I'm angry, that can really go a long way just identifying how they feel and then picking a coping skill like breathing or squeezing something or drawing or coloring. So to, to answer your question, I think that as much as we can avoid isolating our children 
and you know making them feel shame is best because we want a, they're not going to learn when they feel bad about themselves and screaming and and just sending them to an isolated spot i will say if a child is getting physical and like punching and screaming yes sometimes we need to be a little bit more hands-on and actually like physically stop them but i also don't think that just sending them to their room is the first step i think we need to help them co-regulate we can do this through co-regulation which just means sharing our calm with our children right so again when our kids are heightened they they can't think they can't learn there's no logic there's no reasoning so that's when we share our calm now that doesn't mean we agree with the behavior right we can validate their emotions which is really important without agreeing with the behavior and we can do so by I can see you're really angry right now, Johnny. And I can see that you made a poor choice. And it's okay to feel angry, but it's not okay to hit. But again, that's once we have regulated them, which brings me, I should probably talk about the three R's. Yes. Please, (laughs) will you talk about the three R's? I think this is so revelatory. Absolutely. So the three R's are coined by a neuroscientist named Dr. Bruce Perry. And essentially, they are regulate, relate, and reason. And it all ties back to brain science, right? Like first we, before we, you know, try to reason or problem solve or talk about choices, that's when we really, the first step is to share our calm through co-regulation, like I was saying. And that could be validating their feelings. That could be using very, very minimal words, maybe rubbing their back, soothing, turning down the lights reducing any type of stimulation that you can and just trying to help them regulate, right? And after we've shared our calm and we've regulated, then we can move into the second R, which is relate, right? And that's when we can start using a little bit of word and just trying to, you know, just be human. And again, that might be still a little bit of like rubbing their back and validating and talking a little bit about, you know, our situation, but not not using that many words. And then once we know for sure that our kid is in a state where they are regulated and calm and they're in their higher brain, they can access that logic and reasoning, then we move into problem solving. Then we can talk about, okay, let's let's discuss this choice. What could you have done differently? And then when they are calm, if there is a consequence that we need to give, then we can talk about that in the regulate, relate, in the reason stage. But it's, you know, it just relates back to that child brain development. How are you going to try to reason with a child who's in a complete meltdown? It wouldn't make any sense. So that's why we have to take those sequential steps to help them by sharing our calm and then having them be able to access their higher brain. Yeah, I just think that is so helpful to hear. And also to know that language is maybe the least important part of this. Oh, yes. It's learning how to maintain your own calm in your own body. And through the power of touch, you can share that with your child. And that also, I feel like, is an opportunity to bond and to feel safe with each other. It's setting up such healthy patterns going forward. Absolutely, yeah. Like that touch and even just our body language, the facial expressions. 
we can use our face just to validate a child's emotions. Just, oh, I can tell that, you know, you're having a hard time right now, but, you know, without the words, you know, is paramount. It's, it's, it's really, really important to know, you know, that order so that we can support our kids in the best way. Terrific. I, I want to know about the power of apologizing to your child. If you do have a hard moment as a parent and maybe you do raise your voice or you do act in a way that you know isn't your best, how can you repair that? Yes, absolutely. Well, I love this question. Apologizing can be so impactful. When we apologize to our kids, we are modeling humility. We are modeling that even grown-ups make mistakes. And the important part is that we can take ownership and admit our mistakes, right? Um, you're showing your child that you care and you want to do better. And then it's your responsibility. It can show them that it's okay for them not to be perfect. And that's, you know, nobody's perfect. Repair, I think, is one of the most powerful parenting tools that can be in a parent's arsenal. Because <laughs> we're human. We're human. We are going to mess up. We're not going to be regulated and calm all the time. And when we aren't, the important part is that we just show our kid, hey, I'm sorry that mommy yelled. I was feeling really frustrated and I don't I don't want to yell when I feel frustrated. So next time I'm going to stop and pause and tap into one of my healthy coping skills, like just taking a breath, right? So you're teaching them that they can make a mistake and you're also modeling for them that how to apologize and why it's so important to apologize. And as I mentioned before, how connection is just as vital as water or oxygen. When we make a effort to apologize to our kids after we messed up or made not the greatest choice of how we chose to respond to, you know, whatever situation, that that's excellent. That's laying a foundation for our kids and showing them how important it is to apologize in other relationships that they have in their life. So repairs, it's just such a phenomenal thing. I've worked with a lot of parents that come to me with a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt about lying, of, about yelling. And it's such a beautiful thing that, you know, they have repair as a tool to tap into. Just again, embracing imperfection and knowing that all of us are going to slip up sometimes and it's okay. Give yourself compassion. Yes. Yeah. And you just, you are doing you're laying the foundation of the kinds of relationships that this child is going to be having in the future romantically. You're teaching them that apology and accountability is really important. And it also must really be impactful in a positive way to the grown-up parent-child relationship because there is this trust. There is this level of accountability with one another. There isn't hierarchy Absolutely. That's, that's really important. I love that you said that, Christy, because yeah, in like the old traditional parenting, it is very much like you do as I say, and you don't ask because I'm the parent and you're the child. But with conscious parenting or mindful or peaceful parenting, we can call it so many different things. Yeah, there is certainly mutual respect. It's not I'm better, bigger, you know, because I'm the parent and you're the child. 
we're both human. Yeah, it's so great. You know what? Can we talk about screen time? Many parents were reaching out to me about this. I know it's a big topic. What is your advice? Oh, yes. I would say the most important part of regulating screen time with kids is modeling healthy screen usage, which I know is not easy because many of us use our phones for work, email, social media, our life, really. And it can be really hard. But if we can model healthy screen time usage, some parents putting a few expectations, like we're not going to have our phones or any devices at the table. Some parents will leave their phone in the bedroom, which, and I know, I know not everybody can do that because, you know, our phones, they, we get phone calls and emails and everything, as I mentioned before. But if we can just little by little, just try our best, and it doesn't have to be perfect because none of us are, is just really try to model what we want to see. If we are getting upset with our children for uh, being on the iPad too long, it's really hypocritical if we're always on our phone. And again, I know that's super hard. I have my phone a lot and I bring it with me everywhere pretty much. And I've been trying to be a little bit more mindful of that. Like when I'm watching a TV show or when I'm taking a walk, I don't need to bring my phone. And so if we can model that again, when kids see that, there's gonna be more buy-in when they see us modeling the healthy screen time usage. So I would say modeling is the most important tool you can use. Another part of this is I like to help parents think, have their, par- have their children think of their life as a pie, right? And talk to them about the importance of having balance in your life. And so, you know, when you're a little kid, I'm sure, let's say on your pie, you might have friends and family time and school right? And playing outside and then screen time will be in there. We want to make sure that the whole pie isn't all screen time. That's not a balanced life. That's just educating kids I mean, in a developmentally appropriate way about the heart, like when they're on their screens for a long time, what can it do? Like the harmful things that can happen. And Again, in a very developmentally friendly way, like if you're on your screen for too long, you can get a headache. If you're on your screen for too long, there's research out that says that it can be really hard for kids to manage their emotions. So maybe just educating them in a way where they can understand it and um, talking to them about the importance of having a balanced life. And then the other part of this, again, is setting clear expectations ahead of time around screen time. So whatever you want that boundary or rule to be in your home, making sure that you make sure that the children are aware of what the boundary or the rule is ahead of time. So, you know, I am working with a parent right now who uh, she picks her kids up from school every day. The routine is that they are allowed to come home and play on the iPad until 4.30. And the children know that at 4.30, there's no iPad, right? But she had to set that rule, sit down with her kids and set that expectation ahead of time. When kids have reminders and they know what the expectation is, that creates a sense of stability, but also they're going to have more respect and and get off the device a lot easier when they know that it's an expectation. 
And then another piece is including the kid in the plan. So you're going to have a lot more buy-in from your kid if you sit down and and you talk to them about screen time. Include them in the plan. For example, let's say your kid has a really hard time getting off the screen, which we all know the chemical dopamine in the brain, that's the give me more, give me more chemical. And so it's really, really hard for kids to get off the screen. So first I talk to parents about, I would imagine if someone just snatched your phone out of your hand, right? How would you feel? Like probably wouldn't make you feel really good. So that's probably not gonna be the greatest plan to snatch the iPad or the device out of the hand, right? So what can you do? What? How can you include your children in the plan? Like, all right, I feel like I'm always using Johnny as an example, but all right, Johnny, when it's time to get off the iPad, uh, what what could we do to get you off the iPad when you know that it's 4.30 and mom's asked you and reminded you and you're not getting off the iPad? Would you like us to come up with a code word maybe, you know, and maybe that will help you get off the iPad? Do you, and really try to solicit ideas from your kids because they have they can be really creative. Um, I was working with a parent once where she sat down and had the screen time expectation conversation with her child. And her child was like, okay, well, here's what you can do. Let's have a code knock. <laughs> so they came up with a code knock for when it's time to get off the screen. And he totally responded to that. So you're getting that buy-in and that ownership, you know, from the child. Um, that can go a long way. That is so terrific, Christina. I have not heard anything like that ever. And I think it's so great to get your kid involved creatively. It also lets them feel like they're in control. You know, as a little kid, oftentimes you're told what to do. And to have a sense of say, I think, is so wonderful because it just instills that that feeling of autonomy and, okay, how would I like to go forward? These are the rules, but I have freedom within the framework. And this is what feels good to me. And my, my parents or my caretaker is honoring what I have to say. They're giving me a voice and they're going to listen. Yes, yes, absolutely. And again, it's not being permissive and letting the kids take charge. It's something that you and the child agree on together. You know, are we going to use a code word or whatever we're going to use? But yeah, including them will go a long way. And then the only other thing I wanted to add is I think it's important to have screen time detoxes every once in a while. It can be hard, but again, include your child in it. When would you think would be a good time for us to have a screen time detox? Here are my ideas. I'm thinking maybe parts of the summer, you know, when we can just go out and play all the time and having a list and generating ideas from your kid about screen-free activities that they're interested in doing. Terrific. Including them in the decision-making process again. So great. Christina, I appreciate you and all of your time and this wealth of information so much. I know parents are going to be listening to this and they're going to want to find ways to connect with you. How can they find you? Okay, so I hang out on Instagram and Facebook. They can find me on Instagram at calm underscore underscore minds. So it's two underscores. And then I have a Facebook group that's called Calm Minds Parent Coaching and Tips. So just type that into the search bar and they can, they can find me there. Okay, terrific. 
I just think you are so empowering and you make things so accessible and fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you and I just love the work that you're doing. Same to you. I think this podcast is super important so that people across the globe can find alternatives to to live their life. It's super. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Is there anything else that you wanted to leave folks with? Just give yourself grace, you know, and, and don't beat yourself up. Just know that there are other ways. There are other ways to parent that research shows that are effective. And so when you're ready, find me and we will set up a free consult and we'll talk about all how I can help you. Yes, change is possible. You can repair things. You pe- you can begin anew. And yeah, it's it's so great that you are a resource that's available to folks. So oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Christina. I appreciate your time. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you all got so much out of this episode. As promised, I have linked in the notes for you all a special uh, calm parent bundle only available to our listeners. Christina made that for you all. So make sure you grab that. It's in the notes below. You can reach out to Christina to work with her. CalmMindsConsulting.com is her website. And just thinking about everything I learned talking to her on the show, I'm going to go get a drink of water. How about you? When's the last time you had a drink of water? You deserve to be hydrated. You deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel calm. Take a breath. Get some water. It's going to be okay. Until next time, stay tuned and stay open to possibilities.